Hey, Downhill fans, and welcome to the American Downhiller podcast presented by SkiRacing.com, where we share our insights and our stories about downhill and the legendary World Cup downhills that will be run this winter. I'm Doug Lewis, 1984 and 88 Olympian and creator of Elite Team. But joining me are three of the most celebrated American downhillers in our history. First up, AJ Kitt, a four-time Olympian and a world championship bronze medalist. AJ, where are you joining us from and do you have snow? Well, I'm at home in Hood River and we have no snow, none. Um, but it is snowing on the mountain. Hood River doesn't get too much snow in the wintertime, but um, we're getting a little bit up at Timberline. Mountains aren't open yet, but uh, we're, we're crossing our fingers. Nice. Next up, Darren Rawls, a three-time Olympian, world champion, and winner of 12 World Cup downhills. Darren, where are you, and how is your snow? Hey, boys. Uh, I'm here in Truckee at home, and um, like, you know, like AJ, the whole West, struggling. It's been warm. It started raining last night, and we got a little dusting up high, but um, we have snow coming. Forecast is looking really good for this next, uh, next week, so... Crossing fingers, you know, it's coming. But I think they are skiing like a uh, boreal, and then um, at Palisades Tahoe, they're skiing just in the bottom part, um, the little snow park area. So the kids are getting out there a little bit. All right, there is a rumor you're going to put on a Kitzbühel bib, get naked, and do a snow dance. But we'll save that for another show. Uh, lastly, our youngest. Really? <laughs> <laughs> you know about that? You know about that? Our youngest speed demon and founder of the American Downhillers, Marco Sullivan, a four-time Olympian World Cup winner and creator of American Downhiller. Uh, Marco, where are you from and do you have snow? Hey guys, I am from Tahoe City, but oh, I'm yeah. at, <laughs> right now I'm out at Copper Mountain in Colorado, um, home of the U.S. Ski Team Speed Center, and I'm coaching a camp here with some U16s, uh, big speed project actually, there's 100 and 20 or 130 kids, tons of kids out here um, with a few mentors and a bunch of club coaches and we're, they're getting a bunch of super G training and, and jump training and it's a pretty cool project. And someone else I think is out here too. And I'll tell you where, where I am. I am about 10 feet away from Marco in my room <laughs> and I'm also part of the speed camp. So Marco, I'll see you in a little bit. Anyway, it's been a lot of fun. We have tons of kids and they were pushing limits today and they're just learning a ton. Anyway, thanks for joining us for episode number three, which will be a little bit different as there's no downhill scheduled this week for the men. The men will be in Val d'Isere for some tech events, the slalom and a giant slalom. So we're going to break down a couple of speed elements for you today. This will be great for uh, coaches, for uh, young, uh, young skiers, but also for parents and just fans. So we're going to talk about inspection, why it's essential, how we did it. We're going to talk about course reports. Again, why essential, what we liked in a course report, and then we'll break down the five races that we've had already this year. But first... Our first question for the American Downhiller podcast, this comes from Jay Mack, who writes, could each of you describe the point in your careers or the particular race where you learned how to compartmentalize fear or apprehension or stress and turn it into energy, turn it into a drive to win? Who wants to take this one first when fear turned into something positive for you guys? I think I had a moment of that, actually, Jay Mack. Um... Maybe not, not the kind of fear you're thinking about, but a different kind of fear. When I was in Chamonix, um, 2008, when I was about to kick out of the start gate, I was more nervous than I'd ever been because I knew 
I was having one of the best weeks ever. I felt amazing and I could win this World Cup. If I had a good run, I was a favorite to win. And I was like dry heaving in the start. I was so nervous. <laughs> and, uh, anyway, I found that place in my mind that I was able to turn that fear into drive and just inspiration to go fast. And ultimately I, I won the race and it's the only World Cup that I ever won. Um, but it was, it was pretty cool to take that raw emotion and turn it into positivity and be fast. It was pretty crazy. That's a great way to think about it. Fear of failure rather than the fear of dying, which I think he might've been talking about. <laughs> but I can tell you uh, where fear turned into something positive for me. My first big downhill uh, was up at Sugarloaf, narrow gauge. It's a classic downhill up there. And there's this part called the head wall. And I just remember inspecting and coming to that head wall and asking the coaches, how do we go around this or what's the deal? And we were going to go straight down it. And the stomach <laughs> was, the stomach was churning. Uh, I, again, I probably felt like throwing up, but after inspecting and after talking to my coaches and after reviewing my goals, like this is what I wanted to do, I was able to change that fear of getting hurt into something really positive. All of a sudden, fear turned my senses on. All of a sudden, I could feel and see and smell and touch things differently. And that's how, how stress and how intensity and how fears since then has has affected me all of a sudden I become more focused and that just happened that day hey I'll jump in before Darren because I know he's gonna have the best answer uh, and I don't want to follow yeah. it but you know um, the fear I think for for me has really come in like the first time I kicked out of starting kids field or the first time I ran the camels in Valgardena um, but honestly the, the, I think the most scared or fearful I've ever been and I remember feeling my heart wanting to jump out of my chest was when I got back into running speed after missing a season with a knee injury I hadn't been at speed for like seven months maybe and I was at a training course simple train downhill training course in team France I was never so nervous in my life and I kicked out of the start and I just relied back on all of my my training and my preparation and, I, and in all those cases, at Kitzbühel and at Valgardena and anywhere I was nervous about it, I always just went back to the place where I relied on my preparation. I had confidence in all the work I'd ever put in and in my ability to, you know, to, to get through it. And, and for sure with, um, you know, Kitzbühel and, and, you know, jumping down the mouse folly at 60 miles an hour and, and the, going over the camels and Valgardena, I mean, you just got to put it behind you and put it out of your mind and go for it. Because if you are apprehensive or at all tentative in those situations, you're in big trouble. So you've got to go for it. You got to stick your nose in it and go forward and be aggressive. Nice. I'll follow up AJ with uh, Valgardena. Um, the first time I went there, I was not allowed to race and I was basically brought down to the camels to watch the guys go, you know, just so it just, you know, see everybody do it. Once you see something be done, it's a lot easier, right? Well, it was huge this, this year. And Pepe Strobel is the first guy to go and out jumped it by 50 feet. And, uh, you know, radios are just going crazy at the start, trying to, like, you know, notify the, the racers that huge air. I mean, make it basically just a press on this thing. It was a 150-foot gap, right? And so the next year, I uh, 
was lining up to get in the gate first train run and all I was thinking about were the camels the whole way down. I was making mistakes everywhere. Coming into it, flew off the mower, almost hit the fence there. That was when it was, you know, more kind of back in Asia, it was a lot more narrow. Now it's been widened up, but um, I was like making recoveries left and right. I'm still coming up to the camels and um, I had to flip a switch in my head like in seconds. I was either going to pull out because I almost like went to the fence there or I was going to go for it. And I just said, just committed. I fully committed and uh, I got over the camels and, and just stuck them. And um, then I started skiing better from there to the bottom, but it was ridiculous. It was just something that was in my head the whole way. And um, I think that my lesson there, and then it was just like, take each section, you know, as you're like going through it and not like have some, something that's weighing on your mind, like way down the course, because it could be, you could, be blowing it or make a huge mistake and end up having a you know bad outcome of the crash so I was uh I think for me J-Mac it was just uh dealing with that fear I was able to fully commit and just when I had to but um reset you know on uh, the next day and, and just really focused on you know every turn and piece of terrain from start to finish Great answers. And I'm glad you brought up Valgardena. Valgardena is going to be our next episode because that will be the next downhill. And we got plenty of stories from Valgardena. So thank you, Jay Mack. And if anybody has qu uh, questions for us, info at AmericanDownhiller.com. Info at AmericanDownhiller.com. We'll take any question you can send to us. All right. Now we're going to move down and we're going to break down what we've learned at the, after the first five speed races uh, of the season. Started at Lake Louise, went to Beaver Creek. And let me just run the results again. In Lake Louise, we had Meyer followed by Creek Meyer, followed by Foyt. So two Austrians and a Swiss. RCS was the best American. Jared uh, Goldberg fell, but otherwise not too much excitement from the Americans. At the Birds of Prey, where we only got one downhill in, it was Kilday coming back 10 months out of surgery on his knee. Matthias Meyer in second and Foyt's again in third, but much better showing for the Americans. RCS was sixth, Nyman 18th, Bennett 22nd. Uh, and so that's what we've learned. There was also a couple Super Gs where Travis Ganong was also on the podium. Now, before I get your thoughts on, on the season so far, I just wanted to point out that AJ Kitt, wins this week's prediction because he had a uh, kill day winning. So a thousand points that goes back into AJ's uh, scoring. So you're at zero now. So keep going. Anybody want to take anything what we've learned so far and spit it out? Yeah, I'll, I'll take this on. Um, well, Lake Louise, for sure. You know, it's just like, it's the first test that all, all these guys have trainings, one thing, but like when you jump out of the starting gun race day, it's a whole different deal. And, you know, I don't think it was a big surprise. Um, you know, those guys, we all kind of like figure the Austin's going to be really strong. Um, I, I pick, uh, pick kill David to be in there too. Um, you know, I just think it's like those top guys from the last couple of years are, are continuing to be, you know, the leaders, you know, leaders of the pack Foyt's obviously really strong. He blew me away, like in the downhill at Birds of Prey. Um, he made a pretty large mistake, but it was in a good spot. It was like on towel turn, so it's still steep, but he shut some speed down there and he just started just reeling it back in the bottom. The guy's so fast. So he's going to be a huge contender. Obviously, he's been, you know, the overall uh, downhill um, World Cup discipline winner. 
for like the last couple of years. So he's the last four years. Geez. Yeah. Um, pretty incredible. So he's, he's going to be in there all season long, but like you said, it was awesome to see RCS jump back in there. Nyman, I saw him before the race and he's like, I'm still having a tough time, like being fully um, in full attack mode, skiing with conviction. And I think he did that. He was really happy. I saw him come across the finish line. He just gave a full fist pump. And that was a big step for him. So he's going to his like favorite place, you know, coming up uh, in two weeks, Belgradano. And I just think that, um, you know, there's some good momentum with RCS. Travis in third in Super G. Nyman, Bryce has got to get things rolling. Same with Goldie and, um, and Arvidsson, too, that was in the, in the race. But I think those guys can start feeding off each other and, and uh, start making some progress. Let me let me take that one step further for Sully and AJ. You mentioned Kilda, Meyer, and Foyt. You, you hear in the fall training that these youngsters are doing well or the rookies are doing well, but time after time, it's the veterans who start off strong. Is it better skis? Is it just more confidence? Why are these veterans, you know, maybe not great in training, but boom, when it counts, they're ready early. I think it's probably a little bit of familiarity with the tracks and, and the fact that they've gone through this process of starting the season off uh, a number of times more in their career than the younger um, rookies have. You know, I noticed, I definitely think I noticed some rust in, in these two races, but it's definitely coming off. Um, you know, Lake Louise isn't that challenging. We've talked about that, but you know, you get into a, a course like Beaver, uh, Birds of Prey, it's a lot more challenging. I always felt like I was skiing the best of my season after we left the hardest races, you know, Kitzbühel for sure, Garmisch, you know, just depending on where they were the fastest and most challenging. And at this point, I think everyone's raised their game. There, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of balance in the, in the, in the field after Lake Louise. I mean, 24 guys in the first two seconds and, you know, Beaver Creek's a little bit shorter course. So the, the places are compressed a little bit more there, but still um, there was a lot of good skiing. And, and honestly, there was a lot of little mistakes from, from most people. I didn't really see a beautiful, perfect run out of anybody at, at Beaver Creek. So there's room to gain. Um, I, I know the snow tech or the ski technicians have learned a lot about ski testing. First of all, uh, you know, in Lake Louise on the flats there, but then in Colorado, but you know, the snow changes when you go to Europe. So they might be just getting a whole different packages of skis out for that. But nonetheless, there's been a lot of testing. So um, this week off will be really good for them. And uh, it'll be really interesting to see how things go in Valgardena. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, second what all you guys are saying with, with the veterans being on top, but to me, it's just a confidence thing. I mean, they, they have won in the past and they expect to be up on the podium. And a lot of these names we hear week after week, you know, they, they are consistent, which is one thing that our US boys have, have had a tough time um, honestly, forever. I mean, the U.S. guys are, have never had a ton of consistency in the, especially in these early season races. Um, I think I've, we've seen our guys' confidence build throughout the season, and especially coming into places like Valgardena, where we've had a lot of success. Um, but our guys, for whatever reason, it's like, it just takes a little longer to feel really comfortable on the skis. Um, who's to say what, what it really is? But I'm excited that, that we did have some good results in Beaver Creek there on that downhill. And uh, looks like people are fired up going to Europe. One thing that we had in the Super G's um, was a lot of tactical errors. Um, 
you know, I've been out of the sport 30, 35 years and I inspected and I knew that screech owl was going to be tough. I knew there were some tricky spots, yet we saw these veterans and rookies alike making these tactical errors. Um, I'm just going to throw that out there. Is it just, are they not inspecting well? Um, or is it race day? Like, I got to, I got to take more chances. How do you explain so many tactical errors on those Beaver Creek Super Gs? Anybody have an idea? I would agree with you, Lou, on that. You know, there's when you inspect a course as a World Cup, or you see the places where you cannot blow a certain turn, you know, because there's a long flat section after it. Um, one of those spots on Beaver Creek is the Screech Owl jump, which proceed. It's uh, got about 10 seconds of dead flat before you go off the Golden Eagle jump. We saw a lot of guys in that first race. There was a bit more of a turn set over the Screech Owl in the Super G and um, some of, some of the guys just boned it and it was like kind of impressive that uh, that was happening and and it yeah it's the focus coming off of of uh lake louise where it's a little bit mellower and in right into the game time of beaver creek that could have been it um more in your face but yeah we got to hold these guys accountable they're the best in the world let me let me throw something out there i mean you know lake louise isn't very fast. They got one race up there, one training run, I think as well. They go to, they go to Beaver Creek, one training run. Then they have two days of super G and then they come back to downhill. There, there's not really a good rhythm here of those guys, you know, getting consistent runs with the timing and the speed of downhill. And it's definitely different than super G, which is a little bit more rhythmic. And frankly, you know, Beaver Creek on race day always comes at you faster than you expect it to. And so that's, I think where some of this tactical stuff may show because with line, as you guys know, and speed, you increase the speed a little bit and you got to make a rounder line over a blind corner or into a jump much more than you think. And certainly if you're going, you know, five or seven miles an hour, a little bit slower, you can cut line. You're not going to fly as far and the timing's a little bit more delayed. So um, I think there's a little bit of that in there as well. And that's what I, just what I mean about there's a lot of rust on it still for all those guys. Yeah, and the Super G2, I mean, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but most of the, the top Super G skiers did well tactically. It was more the downhill guys, you know, that kind of blew it. I mean, you make one little kind of like timing uh, mistake, you know, just a little bit late on pressure where you, and you're not coming from behind on that like right footer over screech owl and you're playing catch up right there big time. And I mean, um, Travis starts second in the Super G. I think it played in his favor that kind of set because he is more of a conservative racer with tactics. He skis a hard, but he's conservative and smart. And that played in his favor, but all all uh, the uh, forerunners went out. Roman Bauman, the first guy down the hill, went out. You know, Travis, like, he knew that. And uh, I think it just, like, I mean, he played smart. I mean, it looked like he left some up on the hill. He could have, like, been charging a little harder on the top, but he crushed the bottom. And, uh, you know, I think he was, like, third and first in the last two splits. So, you know, I just think more – it played in the favor more of, like, a, a smart – tactically smart run in super g and the downhill guys are just kind of like given or not really given as much respect and, and paid the price cool i know this is off script but i want to take this one step further just answer a yes and maybe um a time it happened and i'm for sure done it i've had a plan in my head i've been at the starting gate i i kick out of the gate i'm on the course and all of a sudden i'm making race time decisions like I'm feeling I can just go in on this turn and it, and it mostly never works out. Do you guys, 
you know, why, what does that, what is happening in our head? Is it just being competitors? Because I've made some bad decisions. I've had the plan, but I've, I haven't stuck with it. And it's just, I don't know what happens. My brain turns off because of the competition. I'm sure it's happened to me. I don't recall anything that the, the sensation I do remember though, is, is, um, you know, when the conditions change overnight so much, either, you know, maybe it, maybe it was really warm or rained the day before and then it got really cold overnight and then the track totally changes, right? Well, you go one day you're skiing on grippy snow and then all of a sudden you kick out of the starting gate and your skis are just running away from you. They're going so fast. You can't keep up with them. You can't get forward enough to be in front of them and keep the, you know, keep the shovel, the ski connected to the snow. I mean, that's a fearful moment, but um, you know, that's just the sport of skiing. And I mean, course reports and, and all those kind of things are really important in those situations, but man, you, sometimes you really don't know what you're in for until you get to the first gate. I think AJ had uh, some of the fastest skis in the world at certain times. And you probably felt that all the time, man, those skis pulling away from you. I remember getting on a pair of your, your skis uh, in Beaver Creek or training, AJ kit, nice black, penmanship you know written on the white sidewall from Wahlberger and those things were doing exactly what you just said they were just pulling you down the hill it was crazy such a good feeling but yeah on the know. other sidewall it said Darren do not touch my skis yeah <laughs> I try to take them no chance no chance but no I mean, we've, all, um, we've all been in that middle of that race run and made the, uh, a good decision because of conditions, but we've also probably made some bad decisions and uh, we've learned from it. Let's talk about inspection. Inspection has to do with that question we talked about just then. Why are so many errors made tactically? Inspection is just, to me, so important. Um, it, you know, uh, Sully, you brought it up, confidence. I need to have confidence in that starting gate and inspection is the most important thing I can do on that day to give me that confidence. If I can stand in that start, know where I'm going, know each granular of snow at each uh, section, know that if I'm going slower, I can then take a different line. Know if I'm going too fast, I can take a different line. It just allowed me to sit in that starting gate with the biggest smile and the biggest confidence and the biggest energy to risk it. So inspection, what does it mean to you all besides that? I think there's no better feeling than being in the start gate and being 100% confident that you know the line. There's no questions. You know exactly what you need to do to pull it off. But I also think some people um, have to kind of feel what's going on before they can know it. You know, myself, I was like, my first year on the World Cup, I was notorious for missing tons of gates in the first training run. Because I'd look, I would look at the inspection, I'd inspect, I'd have my plan, and then I'd get on course and just be blown by gates. And then I would learn, like, okay, I can't do that, I can't do that. And by the second training round, by race day, um, I would be able to pull it off. But sometimes you really just have to feel that speed and feel the snow to know what's going on. So you get better and better at that the more you do it, for sure. Yeah, I think uh, also what I tell like a lot of like, I mean, I did it in World Cup is really important to do it, like just practicing, like watching the video, mental imagery before you even get to that race hill. So if there's kids, say, go up to Big Sky for regionals or whatever, like if you haven't been there before, find some footage you know, from a friend or a coach and ask what to watch it. Get familiar with the hill. If you've been there before, you got uh, footage of yourself, watch that over and over and over. Try and get like that in your head. I think it's, it plays in your favor. 
um, for inspection, I really kind of like did a lot of like uh, kind of like hiking around, traversing all over the hill. I would be on the race line, but I'd like go off to the left or right, you know, really trying to get different perspectives. I'd even like lay down on my hip, like, and, you know, like fully on, on the side of my body so I could get as low as I could possibly get with my head. Cause I wanted to be able to like, see if there's, you know, difference in the terrain. Um, you know, it's a different perspective, like from the ground level. And um, I just think it's, that all helps, you know, but my biggest thing was just trying to, just match the flow of the mountain. I wasn't necessarily concerned, but like, you know, like especially GS, like not really, you know, thinking about all the like the left and right turns. It was more like where I need to be really kind of like matching like the best like timing and skiing with the terrain. And downhill is cool because you're skiing the mountain pretty much. And, you know, GS, you're skiing more of a course, but but um, I think it's really important to put time into to the train and knowing what, what you got going, especially in the blind rollers. You want to have 100% confidence in the gate, know exactly what you're going to do so you can push as hard as you can, not have any doubt. My um, my inspection style was kind of impatient. You know, I, I just wanted to get up there and race. I wanted to get to start and go. Um, so I'd be ready for inspection. I'd get out there on the hill and I wanted to be in front of everybody. I didn't want to have to tell, hey, Herman, get the hell out of my way. You're at my gate. I'm looking, you know, move over tell y'all the coaches I wanted to be the first one down the hill so I didn't have to you know be blocked by anybody so I went pretty fast actually um, I had my spots picked out you know my jumps my blind terrain and and then any kind of gates that were giving me trouble and training and those ones I spent some time on I would definitely hike up look for unusual pieces of terrain or anything that was giving me any kind of trouble but you know for the most part I wanted to inspect on the move and that gave me the best sense of you know, how I was going to execute, where my timing was going to be, and what things were going to be feeling like as I was executing. Um, there used to be that they'd give you, you know, a window of time and you could get as many uh, warm-up runs or, or, or uh, inspection runs as you could get. So a lot of guys would, you know, back then we'd get up at the start and they'd open the gate and we'd basically run the course, right? It'd be called the Austrian inspection. No tucking, clothes on, but I mean, it was just like choo, 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 rapid fire. And uh, I was following Rob Boyd one year and uh, we were at, at Ore Sweden. It was the World Cup finals. And we actually went up for a second one of those. And I was following him, Rob Boyd from Canada. I'm like, wow, we're really ripping. And he was grabbing his tuck. And we came over the final jump. And I was right on his tails. And we got in the air. And I saw there was the whole jury was standing at the landing of the jump. <laughs> and we landed. And I swear to God, we crossed the tails of the fist director. And uh, that was a scary moment right there because I thought we were taking them all out, but uh, fortunately we didn't get this DQ, but I don't, I don't think I ever did a fast inspection again after that one. Damn. Call so that's company. why you guys, I mean, you blew it out of the, uh, you know, that opportunity out of the water for us. then I guess when we showed right. up, that's right. That's the end. <laughs> AJ Boyd, no more. Like Pretty much. shut these boys down. No more Austrian inspections. Herman Meyer was always the last guy. And they were kicking him off the hill at, 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 after inspection every day. He was the last guy there. And, you know, last guy off the hill. And who wants to talk about Bodie? Bodie took like a minute and a half, I think. Yeah. Yeah, guys would time Bodie. Coaches would time Bodie's inspection and see how fast it was going to be to his race run. You know, he was like, <laughs> would be down in less than a few minutes sometimes. Like AJ was talking about the Austrian inspection. That was Bodie's only inspection. And yeah, that was, he was notorious for that. He had to get yeah. to the bus and have a snack. <laughs> <laughs> I was the opposite though. I mean, I was back there with Herman, you know, and uh, I just liked, uh, it was kind of a way for me to kind of socialize a little bit. 
catch up with the guys. You're bullshitting. You're kind of checking things out, just taking it in because there's is an hour and a half for inspection. And then what are you going to do with the next hour and a half? Like I just didn't want a lot of time on my hands, so I just kept myself on the hill and you know just use a lot of the hiking around to, to warm up, but also just you know just taking it all in. So I mean it's like you said, Bodie would flash his inspection. I'd take maximum amount of time and it, um, you know, worked out for him, worked out for me. Yeah. I think no matter how much time you're taking, whether it's fast or slow, all of us probably spent the majority of that time on, you know, three or four sections of the course that were really important to us and the blind rolls, the money turns. And that goes down, I think to junior racers too. Like if you don't want to do or your attention span isn't to do a full course, pick out a few really key points and spend some time on those. Get those totally dialed in your mind so you can run it mentally over and over. And by the time you're racing it, you're 100% confident. Hey, Mark, yeah. one quick question I got for you. Um, so would you look at a section and then go move on to the next section and tie that together and run it top to bottom and then go to the next section, run that a couple of times and tie all that together and then finally get down to finish? and run it top to bottom or would you kind of just still just pick out certain sections you want to focus on? That's a good point. Um, I think I would take it in chunks. Like I would uh, slip the first quarter of the course, then stop, visualize that in my mind up to that point, make sure I had it all dialed, go down to halfway or the next important part, and then visualize all the way from the start down to that halfway point and and do that several times and then at the finish, you know, put it all together and have a really good picture of what was going on. Is that the same for you, Louie and AJ? Cause that's kind of what I did too. Yeah, I always visualized the ton. I got, I did the, I inspected and at the finish line, I sat on my poles, closed my eyes and I ran it a few times. I mean, I dreamed about the course, you know, way more than I inspected it. And that was really, I think where I learned how to, uh, how to run it, what my line was going to be. For sure. Uh, one last thing I wanted to say was that um, this is another thing for the junior racers. As soon as I graduated from GMVS, I went to Middlebury College and learned German. And so for a couple of years, the big heroes did not know I knew how to speak German. So I would uh, slide up to them while they were on the Hausberg or on the Hoonchopf or whatever. And I'd listen to them talk about their line. And they're like, oh, this is a dumb American. He, he doesn't speak German. And so I used to sneak all their... Um, all their secrets from them until they figured out I learned German and then it no longer worked. But it was a little bit of a secret for me that uh, I got to play off them. So it was always good to beat the, beat the Euros. All right, we are rocking and rolling. Only have about five minutes. I wanna to go to course reports. So we've done the inspection, how important it is, the confidence it gives you. We've talked about then visualizing and using that imagery. But now you're at the start of the uh, course and you want to have a course report, not only from the coaches, but from athletes. What are each of you looking for first from the coaches? There was anything particular that you needed to hear from the coaches? I think that it's about communication. For me, I had a different communicating style with each person and we, we connected in a different way, whether it was one of my teammates or whether it was one of the coaches. So I think that's the most important part of that, of, of absorbing the information that they're trying to give you, because undoubtedly you're going to be dealt information that's of no use to you and you've got to let that go you've got to extrapolate all the stuff that you need internalize it figure out what it all means and whether it's from the guy that just ran the course 
or the guy that was standing there watching the other guy run the course. There's all kinds of information, different perspectives and stuff. And, you know, you just have to figure out what's useful and what's not. When it's not useful, forget it and, and just digest everything else. Yeah, I was, uh, um, I totally agree with what you said. Only what you, only what you need is what you take in. And I was a big fan of short course reports. I mean, if there was, if I had talked to a coach about his section um, during inspection and nothing had changed from our plan, I just wanted to hear him say, as inspected. Yeah, that was, that was it. Or no change. I don't, didn't want to hear anything extra. And if, if every coach gave his report as no change and just ski it like you inspected, that was a perfect report in my mind. Just stick with the plan. Yeah, I'd basically like what Marco's saying, but I, I'd like direct my course report, you know, before I leave the coach on the hill, like I want to know about this and this, and this is my plan. And uh, if the plan's good, then I don't need to hear anything else. And basically just be like, give me some good words of encouragement, fire me up and let's do it. Like if the airs are big, the speed's a little different, you know, or like, you know, it's like, hey, maybe, you know, we can get away with going a little tighter here. Just let me know if that's possible, if anybody's pulled it off and uh, stuff like that. But yeah, you pretty much like want to like put your plan out there and agree with that coach in that section and then get that direct feedback, you know, uh, at the top and not have anything else that, you know, need to need to hear. Like I would basically just walk away or or tell them to shut the radio off and Bodie on the mic. <laughs> it's a good talk about the, the run top to bottom. Like, man, I don't have enough time. This is like a 20 minute like course report. That's a good, right, I'm good. Shut up. I'm out of here. Yeah. The opposite side of the course report is the report that you give to your teammates once you're at the bottom. And I think that's an art in itself because your teammates at the top don't want to hear about your run or what mistakes you made. I mean, they want to hear specifics about the course that pertain to help them. Yep. Totally. So, if you, if you get on the mic at the bottom, you're like, oh, I totally bone C-turn. And <laughs> like, man, I don't care. Like you, so that's part of being a good teammate is, you know, radioing up or getting on the phone and calling up and saying like a specific part of the course. It wasn't like you thought it was, you know, this snow was different here. This was just unexpected and relay that to your buddies or your teammates. And that can be super helpful. And if you don't have anything to say specifically on the course, just throw it out there. Man. It is so fun. Like just light it up, like get it on, you know? And that right there, I think just puts like, you know, um, your teammates in the right place. And that's what I'd want to hear, you know, from Marco at, at the bottom, you know, and for a race run, just like right on, man, you know, time to throw down. So. Yeah. Yeah. There's a communication that has to be built and that's why teams are so tight. There's that trust. I need to know that they're like, okay, the speeds are what I'd inspected. I need to be able to trust them. Uh, uh, when they say on a blind knoll, hey, instead of uh, 12 o'clock, it's 1130. Boy, that trust and that communication that you have built with your coaches and uh, teammates definitely has to be there. That's for sure. I, you know, and you want to know who you're talking to. If I, if AJ had something uh, up for me, I know it was going to be technical and it was going to be sound, but a guy like Chris Hendrickson, some of my other coaches, I just wanted to say, I just wanted to hear, go for it. It's great. You got it. You know, it's more of a mental course report for me, for sure. So we know Bodie was a little long. Any other funny uh, course report stories out there from anyone? 
don't want to bust anybody though. <laughs> Not really, but but one thing too, I'd like to add on uh, inspection is, you know, you have a lot of coaches kind of lining up the line with their arms like that, and it's like I'd want to see from the ground like when my skis need to go. So I actually had coaches like maybe they have one ski on and just like you know another ski off their holding so they don't like take off. But I'd want them to put that ski up on edge in that direction I want on a blind roll off a jump or a turn because I could kind of like visualize that line, you know, just, uh, or see that line going in through their skis and off that. And I, that was like something that really helped me quite a bit. I mean, with the arms, I didn't really get much out of that, but I wanted to see where the skis were pointing. And like you said, going off that, like that clock direction, you know, 11 o'clock, 12, whatever one, that's always kind of a good reference to use off that, like, you know, piece of terrain instead of trying to pick like a, mountain or a tree would out there and i would inspection but i would never look at it when i'm racing so i figured out that it was more about what you know what's happening on the snow and the direction going off instead of looking for a you know landmark or something last question because we're running out of time it didn't happen when i was ski racing but um now you can watch it on an ipad you can watch it on your phone you can watch it on a television in a bar the racers can get feedback from the television feed. Did you guys watch that? Did you like it? What are your thoughts on that real quickly? I, had, I think I had the um, experience of, of during my career at transition in the beginning of my career, Louie, when you and I raced together, there was none of that, no opportunity. But, but then as I, uh, as I progressed towards the last few years, there was always the television at the start. You know, We didn't have the phone thing going yet, but uh, but the television was really helpful for us to, to get a little bit of a look and frankly gave the, the later starters a bit of an advantage over the early guys. Yeah, I always thought up to a point you wanted to see what was going on. You watch a couple guys that you knew were going to rip and make sure it looked like you thought it was going to look. Um, the only times I remember that getting me in trouble were when I'm when you're starting back in the weeds, you end up watching just person after person and maybe they're making mistakes or crashing or you start getting a little seed of doubt in your mind just because you're watching it so much you know so i try and watch a few guys and then and pull away yeah for me i actually avoided that i did not like to have anything else in my head um i had my own plan dialed in i believed in it and i believe in my coaches the reports i get back or my or the other you know like athletes on my, on my team I just felt like because I, I did it a couple times and I watched somebody screw up and I kind of paid more attention to that screw up and like so much happens, you know, of course, so you can't, if somebody makes a mistake in one section, doesn't mean you're going to make a mistake there. And so I just started like completely like um, avoiding, you know, any of the, uh, you know, the TV and I was racing back in, you know, late twenties, you know, so on start position the last couple of years, so I had a lot of opportunity to watch guys ski in front of me on, on TV, but that was not for me. So I think probably most races will tell you that there's, there's a point where you got too much information, both with inspection course reports and things like watching it on TV. Just, I mean, like you're saying, Darren, I mean, it's easier just to go off of, you know, your own execution, your own plan and, and really just go, go on raw instinct. And props to Darren for doing that. And that's a sign of extreme self-confidence and trusting in your plan and, and not caring what the other people do, just being fired up to dial it in. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I think it's a great place to wrap. I think the overall message was that everyone's different. You got to know yourself, be self-aware, what you like to see, what, how much uh, information you want. The more you can learn about this 
as a U14, U16, it's always going to help as you start to travel and start to go higher levels. So thank you, Sully, Darren, and AJ. And thanks everyone for listening and watching to the American Downhiller podcast. If you liked it, please spread the word, share with your friends, coaches, teammates in your club. You can find us on SkiRacing.com, on the Elite Team YouTube page, and now in audio form on either Spotify or Apple. Just search American Downhiller podcast. Hey, next week, we will be talking about Val Gardena, the bumpiest airtime-filled downhill on the circuit. It's fun, and all the racers love to stop in northern Italy because of the race course and the food. I'm going to talk a lot about the food. It is also home to the Camel Bumps, the biggest air on the circuit, and we will tell you what it is like to double those. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Sully. Thanks, Darren. Thanks, AJ. Pray for snow. We'll see you next week.